0: and we're back with another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. Well, it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend. He is the lead commander at Rob McCallum Films. You got to check out everything that's going on today at Rob McCallum Films. Where at? Where else? But robmccallumfilms.com. You got to check out all of his great projects including the Kitty documentary. Of course, the great He-Man documentary, Power of Greyskull, that you can now watch on Netflix, Box Art*, the documentary, and so much more. It is my good friend. It is Mr. Rob McCallum. We're here to talk about pop culture. So pray tell Rob, what's in your mind when it comes to pop culture?
1: Well, big news in DC, of course, because the Man of Steel has gone missing or will not be around. Henry Cavill is out has been widely reported from The Hollywood Reporter, amongst other sources. They just couldn't make it work. And there was an were in rumored talks for a cameo in Shazam, I believe. And ain't gonna happen now. Just ain't gonna happen now. So Man of Steel is out. Henry Cavill doesn't mean they won't recast him. And the producer of, of Man of Steel made a comment and said, you know, after a run, you have to consider new actors for films and franchises like Superman. Is there any caveats to this thought? Because you and I have gone back and forth on this discussion where you have Batman and James Bond as these big franchises that have recast these huge, iconic leading roles. But are there caveats to this where there are untouchable franchises? We've mentioned Indiana Jones possibly before. What do you
0: think? Well, I think it's something that Josh and I touched upon on our previous episode where we just said DC still at this point in time doesn't have a clue. I mean, at you, when you're you're more focused on these Joker prequels than trying to get the core Justice League right, the basic four to five superheroes that you need to get right, and you still are just finding so much trouble to get everything right outside of Wonder Woman. Just it seems very uh, perplexing. I mean, is this, a, this is going on several years, Rob, and we're talking about. Movies that generate, even with bad word of mouth, with bad reviews, still anywhere from the high fives to the low sevens as far as hundreds of million dollars. Just think if these movies were, had some, some good uh, screenplays, good stories, good narratives – for the most part, you would be talking about billion dollar movies and we wouldn't be having this conversation continually about what in the world is DC doing? I just, it really, okay, just so are you, are eye. you
1: trying to say, because I think you're crossing the streams here. Proverbally, I think you're suggesting that they wouldn't be losing their leading man in red tights and blue tights had the films do like done better or do better or be received better. And this was just like, one of those loopholes where Cavill said, ah, now I'm kind of out of here. Is, Is that what you're suggesting that they're losing people because of the quality of the films? Or are you saying that it's okay to lose them and recast because eventually they'll get back on track or they won't get back on track. So they shouldn't worry about ever recasting.
0: I actually am of the opinion that even though the movies were of a substandard nature for the most part, outside of wonder woman that I think, the Henry Cavill as Superman. And I even kind of like the Ben Affleck Batman. I was seeing that even in with some with some bad writing here and there, that I thought that there was some potential for that core group of superheroes of the Justice League. And we'll see if that's the case with Aquaman coming out in December, that they could have had it run if they have had enough support. But Ben Affleck looks like he's gone. Josh had said that Ray Fisher looks like he's gone. And now you see Henry Cavill is gone and all these replacements that are rumored that they're talking about, whether it's Michael B. Jordan, whether it's a super whether it's someone else, somebody that Josh suggested or I suggested or you would suggest, it leads to a continual narrative that the fans become disinterested when up at the top at Warner Brothers and DC, you just don't have the consistent leadership and the consistent plan that's out there. If we oh, put no, 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 no. And let me finish this. Let me finish this. That if you see what's going on on the other side of the fence with Marvel, uh, yeah, they probably threw him a ton of cash. But look at what happened with Robert Downey Jr. He went over to Sony, did his cameo, did his thing with Spider-Man Homecoming, has helped still continuously help that franchise achieve the monumental success that it has Along with all the other names that are out there, yes, some of them are at the end of their contracts, and they're probably very glad to be so. But with others in the in the you know when it comes to maybe Black Widow or maybe Thor or maybe a couple others that are longtime Marvel characters. Maybe they want to continue that process because for them, it's not just monetarily enjoyable to do so, but maybe still, it's just kind of cool for them to play those characters as well. I just don't see that same kind of love on the DC franchise from either fans, the company or the characters themselves.
1: Well, I got to take issue with one thing that you said in there. I just... That's just one? I have to start at least the one. I tuned out after you started continuing going on because like, I couldn't get over this thing because you, you attack the consistency of DC films. And I got to tell you, if there's anything that has been consistent, the lackluster quality and subpar storytelling from the DC films, it has been consistent, just consistently poor. It's been awful. You almost well, know what to expect Woman. every time. Would you include Wonder Woman in that realm? That that's an outlier, you know. And you can point to some Marvel films that aren't as great as others as outliers too. You know, I would say the first Ant Man wasn't that great. Oh, you know? and he,
0: obviously the the first two Thors weren't that great. And I mean, you in the, the Hulk. Yeah, you know, and, and even a lot of people like Josh and I didn't like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. And you know, you can nitpick whichever ones you want. But there still is a consistent theme of those characters still at some point in time getting a a character development that's due to them and obviously keeps the interest for the actress to consistently play those roles. But we don't see it from Henry Cavill. Obviously, there's something outside of just, okay, did you want to go ahead and be in a cameo in Shazam? And it just fell apart from there as far as not only the cameo, but his future as a DC superhero as well. I mean, don't you see something wrong with that as well, as far as just that little cameo in the mix of that, not only that falling apart, but his entire future?
1: I think it's a real double-edged sword. And I think part of the problem is what you don't get on the DC side is really any kind of spotlight of importance on any one franchise, which makes it feel kind of all disposable. They're rushing to all this big team up and these cameos in this cross universe. So as an actor... And as a filmmaker on those things, how can you ever really feel great about what you're doing if the company that's putting them together doesn't feel great about what you're doing either? The Purge TV series is starting on Amazon. It's an Amazon original. If you've got Amazon Prime, you can check this out. I believe there's two or three episodes out now, so delve into that. Of course, it's available on iTunes as well with a season pass. You know, this really got me thinking, you know, what other franchise films could jump to a TV series format? You know, we've seen Evil Dead go that route, and they got a three season on Stars with Ash versus the Evil Dead. What other horror films do you think could work well to make the TV series jump? And what vibe would you like to see for that? How would you like to see that universe painted exactly like the feature film, something different? What are your thoughts?
0: Well, I mean, The Conjuring, that series right now is on an all-time high with The Nun. Yet yeah, it had a 66-point drop from the first week to its second, but it's still talking about a substantially uh, large following. It's already garnered over $200 million worldwide. And that is supposed to be the original prequel of the stories that are out there. When you consider the Annabelle's, the Conjuring series, and also The Nun, that's all tied in together. And there's so many stories from the accounts from that family. There's so much as far as files, stories, things of that nature that even Josh had mentioned that Eric Bana actually started a movie based off of one of those files that you could go off of that. I think if you, uh, you know, it depends how much do you want to continue the series on the big screen? Do you want to run it for another three or four movies? Because right now you can, you can get away with it because the series, like I said, is on an all-time high Putting it onto the format of a smaller screen and expanding even further into that mythos, I think would be also a kind of a cool move. Actually, a much better move than The Purge, because as we've seen with the last Purge movie, which did not very well at the box office comparatively to its other iterations, that series may be dying out. That may have had its run. So The Conjuring might be the one right now that you would want to go ahead and focus on for a TV series as far as maybe Netflix,
1: Hulu, what have you. Yeah, I think there's a strong possibility there. And there's a few different ways that I could see that work. I mean, you could do it as single standalone episodes where they're investigating each of these case files because some of them are a little bit more elaborate than others. So it's a little bit like Ghostbusters meets X-Files in that capacity. Or you could do probably a six-episode arc so you get roughly the same amount of time that you would in a feature film, but it's maybe hour long episodes instead of a half hour long. I don't know. I think you could do a little bit like that, or you can go a little bit something like American Horror Story route where it's, you know, the conjuring. And then it's this season is, you know, whatever this file is almost like Star Trek discovery is doing where every season is its own standalone story. That's, that's a closed arc. So I think that's, you know, definitely possibly a good idea. I can't agree because I just can't.
0: I want to say this. It's based off the series from Ed and Lorraine Warren.
1: There is right now, I would say a a lawsuit going on with the rights to that as well. And there was actually a lot of questions, whether the nun was going to be released because it is tied to who has the rights to tell the Warren story as central figures, as it uh, pertains to everything. And maybe because the nun is like a prequel prequel that shows up later in the Warren's cases and this film, I guess, is is more of the backstory that's elaborated instead of the Warren's focus. That's how they're getting ar- around it.
0: Well, it's funny how these lawsuits come about with a successful series. Isn't that, isn't that coincidental?
1: No, anytime money's exchanged, you know, there's another person going to be holding out their hand is it's just how it works. I think, you know, another one that they could have done. And I think the boats already missed on it would have been it. I think Stephen King's it would have been a great mini series, and instead of you know a two two hour films or whatever, I think you've got the breadth there. You've obviously got the source material. Anything Stephen King, really? I mean, we're getting Castle Rock, of course, but why not just Steve, like the Stephen King kind of show again, like American Horror Story? What's this season? Oh, it's Tommyknockers. What's this season? It's Pet Cemetery, But do it justice across you know six to ten episodes, really in depth, and then start writing some original stuff. He's got the ideas, but there's so much source material out there. You, you've you almost got to go with some of those favorites too, right?
0: But it, you can't fault them because look at what happened with it. It became such a huge box office smash. There's it too on the way. And it has already been done as a mini series by ABC a long time ago. And it obviously hasn't aged very well, but revisiting that concept wouldn't be a bad idea, but obviously at this point in time, due to the success of it, it looks like it was the right way to go instead of maybe going ahead and just putting it on a smaller screen format.
1: You know, when I look at how Evil Dead made the transition, this is a film that was huge in the 80s and spawned two sequels from it, of course, Evil Dead 2 and then Army of Darkness and then, of course, the reboot of evil dead with freddie alvarez directing i also think you know maybe a friday the 13th we've we we've seen a bunch of those we've also seen halloween and, and nightmare on elm street would be another one that could come back as a as a series and maybe you've just branded as like movie monsters and this one is like freddie krueger and then you get to tell like the 10 episodes of nightmare on elm street in a way that's never been done before instead of kind of gambling with all your eggs in one basket you do the series which sure will have a higher cost then maybe you can do a little bit more after as a result of having a complete series. I think
0: right now that Hollywood is looking closely at the Warren stories and just deciding that if that's the one that they want to go with. But I think there's a lot to tell with all the Warren files and things of that nature. So I think right now my number one choice to do a TV
1: series off of would be The Conjuring series. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Greyskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Greyskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. Looks like Netflix could lose a quarter of their subscribers if they introduce ads. Asked if they would still use Netflix if it reduced the price of a monthly subscription to $3 a month as part of including ads on the service and 16% said they would still cancel their Netflix subscription. Half of the respondents said they would probably stay with the service under the hypothetical scenario and 25% said they would definitely keep it. How do you feel about Netflix introducing ads and where do you fall in these survey results?
0: I don't mind. I don't mind them throwing ads. I just don't like paying the services that are out there, like, for instance, ESPN+, FX+, all these other pluses that supposedly give you their experience ad-free, that want you to pay 5 $6 a month for it. I'm cool with ads. I just go ahead. That's my time to go use a restroom, go talk to someone, go shoot off an email, go cook something as far as outside of just going ahead and paying attention to whatever ads. To me, it's not an issue. And if it brings the price down, that makes it more attractive for me as a consumer.
1: I wonder if there's a hybrid scenario that that they could do with this, like introduce ads on episodic stuff. So you have one at the beginning and the end. And if there's natural commercial breaks, maybe inject them there. And instead of interrupting feature films, what if they gave every user like, 30 uninterrupted viewings for the month. So you could essentially watch a movie a day uninterrupted. But once you go through that, then you get an ad at the beginning, one in the middle and one at the end.
0: I don't know. That's, you know, when you when you try to start off something like that, you know, it's going to bleed one way or the other. And after a while, I think Netflix would just go ahead and say, well, if, if it isn't popular enough for people to really get into, they're just going to throw ads on it throughout. It's, uh, I just think at this point in time, either... With or without and for me, if it meant three dollars a month for Netflix, I would go with the ads. It wouldn't bother me.
1: When you look at their competitor, Hulu, it's seven ninety nine with ads, eleven ninety nine without ads. That's a four dollar difference. Is that a is that a deal killer? Do you do you go no ads at that point because it is only four dollars more?
0: No, that's forty eight dollars
1: a year. So I would go with ads. You'd go with ads, you take it, it's it's not worth the four dollars a month. Nope. The the one Starbucks coffee a month that you don't have to have.
0: Nope. That's fifty bucks a year. That could be better spent somewhere else. I'm cheap. Like I said, ads don't bother me. <laughs> you know, man, I'm I'm closing in on the big five zero. You know how many millions of ads I've seen over the years. You know how many millions of ads that have, that I've been a part of.
1: Three dollars is a pretty nice price point for Netflix. But I'd really have to see how many ads are in there. If it's just at the beginning of a program, I could probably deal with, you know, a minute of of ads four or 15 second things. But if it's interrupting a feature film, I I tell you what, Gerald, I I tell you what, I don't have a lot of free time. So when I sit down to actually get a chance to watch a movie, I don't want to have to deal with commercials. It's one of the things I'll never miss about cable. I haven't had cable, I don't know, ever since I left my my folks' house before I went to college. I've never had cable and I don't miss it. And I don't miss the ads that come with it. Sure, it's a good pee break if you got to go tinkle in the toilet. But I don't don't need that part of my life when I'm working 12 to 15 hours a day and I put my feet up and I want to watch a movie. I just want to watch the movie. That's one of the nice selling points of stuff like HBO and Netflix. There's no ads. You're not getting bombarded with crap. I'm good. $3 a month, kind of tempting, but not totally. I like my uninterrupted time.
0: Well, fair enough. I like my $36 back in my pocket.
1: Well, you you take the 36 bucks and uh, you can just measure how much time is being wasted watching ads and what that time is worth and what your attention is worth versus that money. Fair enough. All right. Fair enough we had a nintendo direct pretty recently gerald A nintendo direct came up on us not too long ago and we don't talk about video games all that much because frankly i don't have a lot of time for video games but i happened to catch the nintendo direct and it kind of hit me and i saw some twitter reactions and one in particular said wow everything here was a port or an update i'm convinced nintendo has only made six games for the switch what are your thoughts you know,
0: it has been thought of universally within the past year. And I know Doug has talked about it as well. Douglas Hoybu from Retro City Games as being a port machine. And you know what? It is for all intents and purposes, predominantly a port machine as it is getting lower res, lower quality, lower sometimes content versions of these games that are on PS4, PC and Xbox One. But that still doesn't make it, you know, not an enjoyable system to have and use, especially because of portability. But this is what we expected. I mean, this is the same type of transition, the same type of thing that happened with the Wii, even at the height with so much garbage where so much, uh, you know, third party stuff going to the Wii. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff that was made for it original, but there was also quite a bit that was ported over to it. A lot of poor stuff a lot of good stuff, but hey, there was was still a lot to choose from when it came to the Wii. And we're now seeing that with the Nintendo Switch, that there are a lot of things that are out there for Switch owners to buy. But yes, a lot of these things are the same things that they could have bought on a PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. And I have heard a lot of times already in, in the almost two years that it's been out, a lot of people saying that are Switch owners saying, I can't wait to get this again. I can't wait to buy this again which is just cracks me up just makes me laugh almost inside every time i hear it because okay you're spending in some cases 30 40 50 even 60 dollars again on something you paid 30 40 50 60 dollars before and could probably buy substantially less if you just wanted it on the playstation 4 or the xbox one
1: it's hard for me to comment on the rebuy of existing content because my iTunes library, since having kids and Apple TVs now, has grown exponentially to have the 4K versions or to have the HD versions available at any of the televisions in my home despite having Blu-rays of some of these films, to have instant access in one room so so kids and mom and dad can watch something there or while I go in another room have something else there. So it's hard for me to comment on, on the rebuy of content. That said, my son in particular will watch a film 15, 20 times over the course of a week. So me spending $20, a dollar a time, I can really justify that cost without too much concern. And I still always have the physical media for backup when I am doing the rebuy. As far as you know, the port machine comment, I get it. I still think the, the nice added value or the asterisk to that is the switch is portable. You know, you might not be getting the technical performance that you're getting on some of these PS4 or PC ports, but you can take it with you and you can on, you know, those other those other systems, so to speak. It's funny because I was actually intrigued for the first time and thought about, well, maybe actually I will buy a Switch because I don't have a Switch yet. There hasn't been anything that was like a super Switch seller for me, if you will. Not a Smash fan. Mario was the closest thing that came to me, but I'm not really an open world, you know, Mario 64 kind of fan. So that put me off. Not a huge Zelda fan, so I haven't found that yet. The one game that really intrigued me was Cities Skylines. This is a game that came out a couple of years ago that I discovered, which was made in the wake of SimCity's, you know, disastrous kind of rebirth coming back. This independent studio greenlit it after they saw the the fan reaction to the beloved City Simulation building franchise. And I was like, "Wow, this is really good because that's one of my favorite genres. Whether it's Roller Coaster Tycoon and, of course, the Jurassic Park game that came out, Jurassic World Evolution. This is the kind of thing that I love doing, building and creating. And this is has a huge emphasis just on city building and not so much city maintenance and dealing with problems. It's just build and enjoy. So I was like, "Oh, I get that for Switch," and then I realized it's on PS4. I'm like, "Ah, I don't need to get a Switch because I'll just I'll just play it on that. And it'll you know look better and they've had longer to work out the kinks. And yeah, well, there it is. So." Thanks, Nintendo Direct, for pointing me to a PlayStation 4 game. I'll gladly take it, save my three hundred dollars from not buying a Switch or one of your new bundles with the fancy graphics, and I'll just, you know, spend my forty bucks on City Skyline on, on PS4. And when I get the time I'll I'll play it. I do think that portability is, is a huge factor though. And even, you know, as a guy who puts the kids to bed or, or waits for my wife to come back, I can sit there and play something, you know, quietly on a portable thing and not have to worry about what's on the kind of communal TV, which is nice. But it was really shocking when I started going through the library of select titles, what is original and what isn't. So when you look at the most recent Nintendo Direct, and they start off with the Ouija's Mansion 3, well, that's all you're really kind of getting from that point on. You're not getting too much new, other than some like quasi-sequels to DS games or 3DS games with, I think, Kirby. And, and then there's a Yoshi game as well, but they didn't even get too much fanfare or a lot of press. There seemed to be more emphasis on Luigi's Mansion 3. And then Port, 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 Square Square Enix, and Nintendo's are friend again. You can play 70 hours of Final Fantasy VII on your Switch. So what do you think the future is? Continued Port Machine? Or do you think we're going to actually get a bunch of new content down the road?
0: Well, we are getting content in the way of two new Pokemon games, Let's Go Eevee and Let's Go Pikachu, and also Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, which is kind of like a hybrid between a new and an old game because it's going to combine a lot of the elements and a lot of the characters and stages from all the previous Smash Brothers games and to me, what's exciting is that, like you said, it is the portability and playing some of these games for the first time for me would be great on a portable platform because like you said, we're on the go. We'd like to go ahead and do these things. As far as game, we do games, we don't have very much time for games in our lives at, at this point. So we got to look forward to grabbing any chance we can of sitting down and playing some video games, but portability might help in that fashion. And that's what is most attractive, like you said, for both you and I when it comes to Nintendo Switch. Down the road, as far as new content, you are still going to get a smattering of Nintendo games that are on the way, whether it's a new Zelda, whether it's a new Mario, whether it's a new Metroid. You know, it's still the same basic seven, eight different characters reimagined or the Mario games, whether it's a new Mario Party that's coming out or whether it's a new Mario Odyssey or anything of that nature. There's still going to be some type of, new games featuring the same characters you've seen over and over again so in that essence it's still if you're looking for originality it's going to be hard to come by when it comes to nintendo switch but if you're looking for something that's going to have a library of a lot of games a lot to choose from that you may or may not have played already at least you'll be able to take it on the go you'll be able to take it on the airplane you'll be able to take it to you know to whatever hotel on the road near or far that to me is the part I like the most about playing or utilizing Nintendo Switch. I am very intrigued at the bundle that's coming up with the digital download of the Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. That bundle is coming up and that's the first time really that they've had a bundle for the Nintendo Switch. So I'm really excited about that. Something I've asked for with the Wii U and finally it's coming to fruition now with the Nintendo Switch and their online service. I've told you this before, how much I've been down Nintendo's throat when it comes to their online services as far as how negative I have my opinion in, in regards to their thoughts on the online medium. And now that they're finally getting into it, I see it's coming at an attractive price initially at $20 a year. I'm hopeful that the Nintendo Switch will finally become the platform that a lot of people have said that they would like it to be and that it truly will is but for now it is pretty much a port machine and you know if that's the thing if that's your thing then then so be it but it only does really a lot of good for those game manufacturers those developers and those publishers that have had of their run on other platforms Bethesda is probably the biggest one that comes to mind as far as that's concerned, they love rehashing their games onto Nintendo Switch because they've already known that their games have already seen their days on those other platforms. So they're smart enough to go ahead and throw it on the Nintendo Switch, charge full pop, and people will still be coming after it. And I know a lot of others are doing the same, so more power to them. I just, like you said, it all comes down to the fact that Nintendo Switch is portable. It is port, bull, but it's also a port machine.
1: A poor choice, maybe, for some. Hey, but, you know, I think Nintendo is smart. We've always said, you know, they have great 3DS and DS titles. Wouldn't it be nice to see them on the home system This was the big deal when the Switch was announced and its functionality, you can play it at home on your TV and take it on the go. For those millions and millions of players out there who only had the 3DS and were stuck in that world, they missed all those home console games that are now coming to them in a way that's easy for them to digest. So Nintendo, I don't think, is making a huge mistake with with porting it. Again, the hardcore gaming audience, maybe that 20 to 30%, it's nothing special for them, but I still think you're going to have... The seventy percent of people out there who were maybe too young of a generation for the stuff that's being ported from five, six seven, eight years ago that's coming to the console now, and now they have a means of comfort of a familiarity for them to understand it and digest it and get to it because a lot of these port games have the hype and the legacy behind them and look there's not a lot to play i've always said Nintendo is a nice second tier console to have. whether it's the wii u or the wii there's always 20 to 25 first party games you'll never get anywhere else they might not all be your cup of tea but a good chunk of them will maybe a third you'll be like yeah that was worth it maybe that was worth the system seller but now you got all these third-party titles that if you hadn't played them before Here's your chance to play them. You can at least get them and have the option. Whereas in the past, in the last 15 years before that, dating back to almost the GameCube, there's been zero third-party support. There wasn't even the option. So you were forced to buy another console. So this might be the first steps in repairing that bridge that was broken with third-party developers because they are getting that second window in sales as you're suggesting, or third window. And now when Switch 2 comes out or whatever it is, maybe the tech specs will be a little bit higher so that they can port something a little bit fresher or be that third-party option out of the gate along the lines of Microsoft and Sony. So if people are already indoctrinated to the Switch way of doing things, then it's easy for them to come along.
0: But I'll go against you with this. Please disagree, please. The only thing I'll disagree with you on is the fact that when Switch 2 comes out, most likely the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox, whatever is going to be called, are going to be out as well. And those specs will be even higher and be even better. And the games will be even more evolved more than ever. And that will make a hard task even harder to get those games into a Switch or a Switch 2. Because even the, the Switch 2 with a portability will still have some type of trade-off when it comes to CPU, processing speed, memory, and the whole nine yards.
1: Yeah, but those tech specs are, aren't going to be too hard to guess. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're not going to be too hard to guess in the same way they were able to kind of sort out what they needed to make friendly for everybody else to port those games from five or six years ago. You know, I think this is a strategy that Nintendo can look at and say, okay, how can we make our machine as great as it can be? If Apple can refresh all their products every year, seemingly, I don't think it'll be hard for Nintendo to kind of really aim for that tech spec bullseye. And uh, and hit it, you know, in the next three to four years, whenever they re- release Switch to instead of releasing something that's akin to tech specs now, which is what a lot of people would expect. That maybe the next Switch to would be like a PS4 non-pro spec, you know, which is still kind of a, a leap behind whatever you know P- uh, Sony and, and Microsoft kind of releases the PS5 and the Xbox Two or whatever it's going to be called. I-, I don't think it's going to be that hard to decide what the, what the plan is.
0: Well, whatever the plan is going to be, as long as they try to make an attempt to placate Nintendo fans, which are a very devoted hardcore fan base, as long as they're trying to go ahead and, and make sure that they're happy, then at least you got a great foundation to work off of. But as I've always told you before, when it comes to a Nintendo console, a truly successful Nintendo console, which the Wii U wasn't, but the Wii was is that it not only resonates with a Nintendo fan base, but it goes beyond that and hits home with a general audience. And that's when truly a Nintendo console is successful. And I believe with the winter sales that the Nintendo Switch is going to get, and I think it's going to surpass both the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One this holiday season, that I think it's going to really start hitting home with a general audience this holiday season. We'll be right back with more of the Cosmic Crossfire.
1: Get ready for Box Art, a gaming docuseries from Pyre Productions and Rob McCallum Films. If you love video games, chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades. In our series Box Art, we travel across North America to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time. What was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions. Well, that'll do it for another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. Thanks for listening, Gerald. Where can they reach out to us if they want more information? They can reach
0: out to us at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com also as well pop culture cosmos humanica media game source and rob mccallum films on facebook you're at rob mcsob on twitter game source humanica media and pop culture cosmos on twitter and instagram as well by the way rob how's everything going as far as with rob mccallum films you got obviously a lot to talk about when it comes to all the great reviews that are still coming out for kitty documentary missing mom and of course the brand new documentary you've got that debuted on Netflix, Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the
1: Masters of the Universe. Everything's going great, Gerald. It's uh, awesome. We got a lot of things in the work. The Kitty documentary continues to go well. Video game box art was just picked up for a film festival because of the trailer that we, we crafted. It's a film festival for trailers and promotional marketing material. So that's really exciting for us. And Power of Grayskull continues to go over really well I've had a lot of people reach out wondering how they can get on Netflix and what that process is and overall that they just really like to see their childhood and that is such an in-depth look at the world a few quirks here and there that they would like to see kind of fleshed out but they understand the massive legacy that we're trying to put together in a two-hour span at the same time so it's been really great to connect with more people and hey there's always stuff on the horizon coming out for myself and all my co-conspirators. That's true. But hey, it's not even two hours. It's 90 minutes, if I remember correctly.
0: So that you, putting it in that package to me was really something special. Yes, there might have been a couple tweaks here or there, but it really it is truly an outstanding documentary and I highly recommend Power of Grace Skull to anybody that's watching on Netflix.
1: I agree. So that'll be it for another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. Again, thanks for uh, chatting. I'm sorry that we agreed more than people are accustomed to hearing.
0: We've got to do it every now and then just to keep everything just status quo. But tell you what, I'm sure there are going to be things down the road in pop culture that you and I are going to go mano a mano and face off as in the near future. Not only right here on the pop culture cosmos, but of course, right here in the middle of the cosmic crossfire.